listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. We're excited to be back with Jackson Unpacked after a little fall break for the show. There are a lot of exciting things in the works here at the station, so it's a good time to be tuning in. We also want to extend a huge thank you to everyone who supported us this Old Bills giving season. Your contributions make it possible for KHOL to stay on the airwaves and for our small news team to keep doing the reporting you hear in this podcast. Thank you. Coming up on today's show, Spanish language correspondent Alicia Unger reports back after attending the swearing-in ceremony of the new mayor of Tlaxcala, Mexico, the state where most of Jackson's Latino community trace their roots. He is asking for the residents of Jackson that, that had born in Tlaxcala to be patient with him and to not lose hope. Plus, local musician Aaron Davis discusses how the pandemic influenced his latest EP. I really started to question whether I was going to continue doing live music as an artist, question all kinds of things. But first, we turn to the latest story in our ongoing reporting collaboration between Rocky Mountain Community Radio and the Solutions Journalism Network, highlighting housing solutions across the Mountain West. In 2017, Vancouver became the first North American city to enact a tax on residential properties sitting vacant for more than half the year. The goal is to return vacant homes to the local rental market and raise revenue for affordable housing projects. KHOL's Kyle Mackey reports on how some western mountain towns are now eyeing early signs of Vancouver's success. In the mid-2010s, Vancouver was faced with what the city's director of housing policy and regulation, Dan Garrison, describes as an existential crisis. We were having a really intense public debate about these housing challenges and about uh, how we could address the rising cost of housing relative to incomes. Are we still going to be able to be a place where sort of normal people live and work, or are we becoming a resort? Around this time, the city also started to notice that some properties that could have been rented out were being left vacant most of the time. It's almost like wasting food in a time of abundance isn't that big of a deal, but wasting food when people are starving is, right? So the city worked with the provincial government and developed a first-of-its-kind tax on residential properties that are vacant for more than six months of the year. The tax rate started at 1% of a property's assessed taxable value in 2017 and will be raised to 3% for 2021. Julia Aspinall is Vancouver's Director of Financial Services. The average price for a condo is about like 800000 so 1% is 8000 And then average single home using $2.5 million, that'd be $25,000. Aspinall says it's critical for her department to be fair in how it administers the tax. That means every residential property has to declare its occupancy status annually. If owners fail to do so, the fee gets rolled over onto their property taxes. There's a robust appeals process, several exemptions, and random audits. But Aspinall says about 99% of owners declare on time. There's also evidence that the tax is making progress on its main objective. Our primary goal is not to generate revenue. It's to have that housing returned into use. However, if you do have people that can afford to own property in a city like Vancouver and leave it sitting vacant, then we think it's reasonable that they pay a tax that goes into contributing to addressing our housing problems. 
More than 7,000 formerly vacant properties have become tenanted since the tax went into effect in 2017. That means they've either become primary residences or now have renters. $61.3 million in tax revenue has also been allocated for affordable housing projects. Those figures sound pretty appealing to some Western mountain towns. The Band-Aid has been like totally ripped off. It's only going to get worse if we don't take drastic action and, and get taxed like this. In the big scheme of things, like isn't that drastic in terms of the amount of money flowing through this community? William Dujardin is a recently resigned member of the town council in Crested Butte, where residents will vote on a vacancy tax in November. Colorado tax law doesn't allow the town to charge a percentage based on property value, so the tax will be a flat fee of $2,500, far lower than the amounts paid in Vancouver. The ballot measure is also tied to a half percent increase in local sales tax, which Dujardin says was a way to bring the community together. They are linked in efforts to bring enough second homeowners along that locals were okay with voting on it and not feeling like they were just taxing people who don't have a vote. Some elected officials would also like to see a vacancy tax in Jackson, Wyoming. But that's easier said than done, as State Representative Mike Yin learned last year. So I got more vitriol from that 2020 bill than I've gotten from any other piece of legislation that I've ever been sponsored or co-sponsored on. Yin and two fellow Teton County state legislators proposed an optional unoccupied home fee that Wyoming counties could opt into. But it didn't make it out of committee in a legislature that's notoriously anti-tax. Garrison from Vancouver also cautions that no vacancy tax is a silver bullet. The empty homes tax has not suddenly turned Vancouver into an affordable city, but it has reduced the number of vacant properties in the city. It has increased the amount of rental housing available to people in the city. The fact that the tax hasn't solved the entire problem isn't a very good reason to not try to solve the problem that it's tried to solve. In Crested Butte, Dujardin is hopeful the vacancy tax will pass. Unfortunately, he won't be around to see its impact. The former city councilman is moving to Salt Lake City, where he and his fiance believe they have a better chance of affording a home they can start a family in. For KHOL and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Kyle Mackey. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed life as we know it in big ways and small, including, of course, the normal routines of how many of us work. Coming up next, KHOL Music Director Jack Catlin interviews Jackson musician Aaron Davis about how the pandemic transformed how he approached his latest EP, titled Catalyst. I don't know what he's been told, but he's seen us grow before. Aaron Davis is a multi-instrumentalist, vocalist, and producer engineer that is inextricably linked to the burgeoning local Jackson music scene. Davis has an eclectic solo project called Aaron Davis and the Mystery Machine, is one half of longtime alt-folk rock band Screen Door Porch, and is also the studio engineer slash producer slash session player at his own three-hearted recording studio down in Hoback, Wyoming. Aaron Davis joins us now in the K-12 studio. You've been a long-standing member of, and in many ways, an ambassador of the local music community here in Jackson. If we can rewind to the beginning, 
How did you get your start in music? Well, I have a, I guess you'd say a fairly musical family. My grandfather fronted a country band for 50 years. As a kid, I remember my first favorite songs came off of a 1950s gas station cassette tape with oldies and, and, and whatnot. My dad also picked around the house and would play John Prine. And uh, so I picked up his guitar, which was, oh my gosh, it was so hard to play, and picked out a couple of riffs from Nirvana Unplugged album that I was way into. As soon as you put together a couple notes and make a melody, to me, that was like, it was breaking through a, a wall that I hadn't really experienced before. And so I really chased that for four or five, six hours a day in college and uh, just kept chasing it. Let's fast forward to today. Can you tell us about the concept of your EP, Catalyst, and how it came to be? So I had a couple songs that I'd written and I'd planned to record with the Mystery Machine. And then I lucked up with this fellowship through the National Endowment for the Arts. And that sort of pushed me to to get to recording it, um, but also to write a little bit more for it. So I had a, at that point, I had a batch of about 10 that I'd written and I peeled that back to four um, that really kind of fit together as what I consider a pandemic project for sure. I think all those songs fit together as kind of pandemic writing. So as I mentioned in my intro, you cover a lot of different themes in the four songs. Can you walk us through the EP track by track? The first track, which was also the first single, it's called You Bet, The Catalyst Blues. I had heard an interview on the radio with a indigenous Wyoming family that was basically pleading for, for decency. Um, I think they were trying to get some help, but also the Northern Arapaho tribal members of the Wind River Indian Reservation had reportedly been denied treatment at a local hospital in the state. I just couldn't believe that that would happen in, in, in modern day. You know, it's interesting how songs come together because I had a, a flood of emotion from hearing that. And then at the same time, I ordered this old time banjo clawhammer book, and I've never been a, a traditional banjo player. It's kind of really a hybrid mix of fingerstyle guitar and, and some old time claw hammer. So I was really concentrating on this song, Blackberry Blossom, an old traditional tune, but really wasn't nailing it, which is kind of the story of my songwriting career. Maybe I'll, I'll dip into these traditions and try to learn something, but never could quite nail it as a traditionalist. So, but as a songwriting, you, you kind of get on these riffs and you start to experiment, and all of a sudden you have something that's new and fresh, but it's came from this this source. And so I was playing that riff from Blackberry Blossom, and then the words, direct words from this Wyoming indigenous family, I was jotting down, and then added some of my own words, and that's how that came together. Let's see, the last song is called Weather, and this is the only time I've ever done this for a record. It was on March 13th, 2020, when basically realized my whole schedule got wiped out of gigs and really started to question whether I was going to continue doing live music as an artist. Question all kinds of things. Hateful oh weekend. my gosh. Yeah. You know, when a song or when inspiration hits, I've certainly learned to just listen to it and write it out as long as you can. That song I wrote in an hour and then I decided to set up a session and I recorded it and that's what made it to the album. It's just a live take of it. I'd like to do more of that. It's there's some songs on here that I spent probably too much time on, you know, having the, the luxury of having my own recording space. You know, I do love to experiment in the studio, but at the same time, I think that this idea of, of writing and putting out music quicker um, is something I'd like to do with Kinda my like next project. Trying to capture lightning in a bottle, yeah. which seems successful for that. And just instant reaction to so much going on. Totally. Yeah. And I've talked to other people about this too. As you hold on to these songs that you've been working on or recorded, 
you know, you get tired of them. Mm-hmm. And by the time it comes out, you're kind of over it a little bit. So I'd love to be able to put out things that I'm excited about, like the moment that I wrote it, you know, and kind of be able to continue that energy with it a little more. Tune in for our local music hour. You can hear Aaron Davis, Abby Webster, Coyote Queen, Screen Door Porch, etc., etc. That airs weekdays from 3 to 4 p.m. Make sure to visit 891KHOL.org for more music, news, and culture. I'm Jack Catlin, and this is KHOL Jackson. The ripple, it grows still. Untroubled by how it ends. Bold moon on the right. A warning shell for the time those dimming old If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL. I'm news director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every Friday on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up next, the city of Tlaxcala, Mexico, has a new mayor, Corichi Fragoso. KHOL Spanish language correspondent Alicia Unger attended his recent swearing-in ceremony and has been reporting on what new leadership means for an area with so many connections to Jackson Hole. We'll first hear reporter Will Walkie interview Unger, followed by her full feature story in Spanish. Alicia Unger, thanks for coming into the KHOL studios. Thank you. So you were in Tlaxcala recently, which, as a reminder for folks, is a state in Mexico that has really strong connections to Jackson Hole. Can you tell me about that trip and what you reported on? Yes, uh, Tlaxcala is um, northeast from Mexico City. Uh, about hour and a half uh, of driving, and most of the people that lives here in Jackson comes from Tlaxcala and from a little town that is outside of the, the capital called San Simeon. And um, it was just a wonderful experience to be able to be there and talk to the new mayor, who was very kindly to uh, accept uh, an interview one-on-one. And... Um, he represents the change in Mexico that they call La Cuarta Transformación. Uh, he represents this new movement that is um, an extension of the federal uh, government, which is the, the party is called Morena. And for the first time in Tlaxcala, the, the party is representing national level, go, uh, state level, and local level with him. So he has, he's very optimistic that all his goals that wants to do in the city will be able to realize. He has a background of working in the Secretary of Tourism, so he understands perfectly the importance to make the city look better to bring jobs and to bring tourism. And so you watched his swearing-in ceremony prior to the interview. Can you take us there in terms of the scene? What was that like there? Well, it was in, in, in the um, uh, convention center of Tlaxcala. It was very proper. They have the national anthem. They, they, it, it was very well, very well done. And the most important is that everybody took the precautions to prevent any 
contagious from the pandemic. Thank you. And you also talked to several members in the crowd, um, local people from Tlaxcala who are watching the swearing-in ceremony. What sort of things were they telling you? Well, there were the artisans that were um, doing the expo, and the, the, the mayor stopped by to, to say hello to them, to give their regards. And um, they are very hopeful that for the first time, they're the art is going to be exposed to the world. So they're very eager that this new mayor will help them to accomplish that. You talked about how Carici Fragoso um, talked about the connections between Jackson and Tlaxcala and sort of about the state of people going there maybe because they don't have the opportunities in Tlaxcala, where they're from. What was his message to those sorts of people? Yes, he understood. He understand the problem that the past administrations for 70 years uh, have led the the state and the capital of Tlaxcala in poverty. So the new generations always have to seek for opportunities outside of the country, and they have left their family and friends to risk their lives to come to United States and finally here in Jackson. His message to those to the immigrants uh, was first an apology. He apologized to all the people who have left their, the, the, the state and city because the lack of opportunities. And he seemed very sincere that he's going to try his best to start helping to stop that immigration. And he is asking for the residents of Jackson, the had born in Tlaxcala, to be patient with him and to not lose hope that someday they will see their city as the way that they can be proud. Well, Alicia... Thank you for reporting this. This is a really exciting story for KHOL, and we'll now take the listener to your story in Espanol. Gracias. Gracias, and I hope you guys enjoy it. KHOL, Noticias en Español. Los saluda Alicia Anger. En solemne ceremonia. El licenciado Jorge Alfredo Corichi Fragoso, de 60 años de edad, rindió protesta como presidente municipal de la capital del estado de Tlaxcala. ¡Protesto! La toma de protesta se llevó a cabo en el Centro de Convenciones de Tlaxcala puntualmente a las 13 horas cumpliendo con los protocolos de salud correspondientes a la pandemia del COVID-19. Durante la intervención, Coriche Fragoso se comprometió a trabajar por el bien de la ciudadanía tlaxcalteca junto con los nuevos integrantes de Cabildo. Coriche Fragoso y su equipo representan a la Cuarta Transformación, filosofía del Partido Morena que, según el nuevo presidente municipal de Tlaxcala, tiene como meta combatir la corrupción, el atraso y la falta de oportunidades que han azotado a México por más de 70 años. Durante el primer discurso entre sus compañeros de la municipalidad, Corichi Fragoso enfatizó que habrá cero tolerancia para aquellos quienes no cumplan con el compromiso de crecer juntos. No voy a tolerar de mis colaboradores malos tratos. No lo voy a tolerar. Palabras que hacen eco entre el público. Ojalá que realmente en sí que nos ayude. 
Y durante una entrevista privada para KHOL, Corichi Fragoso enfatizó que sus propuestas de campaña son un compromiso de gobierno. ¿Cómo piensa enfrentar los retos económicos y sociales para vencer la crisis que dejó la administración anterior? Quienes vivimos en la capital de Tlaxcala somos gente de trabajo, de mucho esfuerzo. Los tlaxcaltecas ante retos siempre hemos salido adelante. Corichi Fragoso reconoce que para lograr estas metas se necesita romper con viejas costumbres y motivar la colaboración tanto de los trabajadores del servicio público y privado, así como de los residentes, reconociendo sobre todo la contribución de los inmigrantes a quienes les envió un mensaje. Decirles a mis paisanos, las caltecas que están en Jackson, que les ofrezco una disculpa porque el pueblo de Tlaxcala, el estado de Tlaxcala, no les brindó las condiciones para poder seguir aquí viviendo al lado de sus familias. Pero que sepan, mis paisanos tlaxcaltecas, que a partir de ahora vamos a hacer un gran esfuerzo para que ya no tengan que salir más tlaxcaltecas. Objetivos que, según Corichi, presidente municipal de Tlaxcala, contribuirá a crear las condiciones en fuentes de empleos con empresarios para que Tlaxcala tenga desarrollo económico y bienestar social, combatiendo así la pobreza y marginación. Decirles a mis paisanos y a aquellos que nacieron allá, ya en Jackson, que la tierra de donde fueron sus padres esté mejor y los podamos recibir como ellos se merecen. La experiencia que Jorge Corichi adquirió durante seis años como secretario técnico de la Secretaría de Turismo de Tlaxcala le mostró que uno de los potenciales más grandes que tiene la capital del mismo nombre es el turismo. Que Tlaxcala capital se convierta en un polo de desarrollo turístico, no solamente regional, nacional e internacional. Haciendo hincapié en la historia que respalda a Tlaxcala por 495 años. Tlaxcala salió en una alianza a colonizar lo que hoy es este país. Tenemos una gran cultura, una gran historia, tenemos arquitectura, tenemos una excelente comida, riquísima que tenemos que ofrecer mucho al pueblo de México y a todos los países del mundo. Ambicioso proyecto por el cual promete poner manos a la obra. Alicia Anger, KHOL, Noticias en Español. Now for the weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this week. Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon announced Wednesday that he's creating a plan to combat, quote, federal overreach from the Biden administration. Biden proposed vaccine mandates last week for any employer with over 100 workers. And several Cowboy State officials have said they'll fight back using lawsuits, legislative sessions, or any other means. It's not clear exactly what Wyoming can realistically do about the Biden announcement just yet, and more details are likely to surface as the requirement inches closer to becoming actual federal law. But it's clear that Gordon remains wholeheartedly opposed to any mandates, even as COVID cases, hospitalizations, and deaths remain at peak levels not seen since the end of last year. 
The Teton County Board of Commissioners and Jackson Town Council both approved changes to the local housing department's rules and regulations at a joint information meeting Monday. This includes allowing Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program recipients to apply for affordable lodging. Public comments in support of this particular change poured into elected's emails this week, and director of the St. John's Episcopal Church in town, Jimmy Bartz, gave impassioned public comment on the matter during Monday's meeting. We all have some sense, those of us who live here in the Valley full-time, that this is a constituency of people who make enormous contribution um, to our community. Um, and I believe that it is the right thing to do for us to extend, for us to extend access to um, this group of people. This is an opportunity for us um, as leadership in this town to create some equity where equity has not been extended um, prior to. Other changes, which all now go into effect because they've been read and voted on three times, include shifts in how the Affordable Housing Department handles those applying for lodging with disabilities, as well as how it restricts dorm units. A new program from Lower Valley Energy and Yellowstone Teton Clean Cities allows people to test electric vehicles right here in Jackson Hole. According to Alicia Cox at Yellowstone Teton Clean Cities, an organization that promotes alternative energy use, many dealerships in rural areas like Teton County don't have electric vehicles to test drive an important step in buying a car or truck. This new program, which runs for the next three years, lets people get a taste. So we're hoping by offering this program where you can borrow it for one to three days, folks can take it in their daily lives. They can drop the kids off at school, go to the office, go to the grocery store, do some errands downtown and figure out where to plug in in the public, how to plug in at home, and then understand their daily driving needs and if the range of this vehicle is enough for them. 29% of all greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. come from transportation, according to Cox, including 65% of emissions in Teton County. And electric vehicles, if they're the right fit, can be a cheaper, cleaner alternative to gas. What's your housing situation like? How much do you pay in rent? Where in Jackson Hole do you lay your head? And where do you want to be? The Jackson-Teton County Affordable Housing Department wants to know, according to Department Director April Norton. This is information that is super relevant in the time of COVID, and I think we can all sort of look around the community and, and we can tell that things have changed. Um, I think we are relying on anecdotes and some data. This, this really gives us that hard data that we need um, as, as we're moving forward and looking at solutions for the housing crisis. The Teton Regional Housing Needs Assessment is open until October 8th and takes about 15 minutes to complete, and it's available for all residents of Teton County and Northern Lincoln County, Wyoming, as well as Teton County, Idaho. Data from participants will be compiled and presented to elected officials next year and used to create a resourcing and action plan. Norton says it's been several years since the area has done any sort of survey like this. As we're thinking about finite resources for housing development, um, and infrastructure, we have to think about what is our, our highest need. And so having that data to really drive those decisions, um, I think, is important, again, in the near term and the long term as a community. The assessment is available in English and Spanish and is separated into an employee webpage and an employer webpage. Norton says her goal is to get 2,000 participants, and she's already at 1,600 and counting. More information can be found at jhaffordablehousing.org. That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band Strumbucket. 
Subscribe now to Jackson Unpacked on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KJOL Jackson. Jackson.